The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Ready to talk sports with Daryl and Sam. Welcome to Sports Info UM featuring Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. These guys know the sport like nobody else. From former players to coaches to the great figures of the NFL, you'll get the inside scoop on what's going down today in football and other sports. Now, here's Daryl and Sam. Hey, and welcome to Sports Info UM. Coach, what's going on? Oh, buddy, I'm all excited about tonight's show. Hey, tonight's show is enough to get you excited, Coach. There's a lot of things going on in sports. You know, the baseball all-star game is coming up. Derek Jeter, his name is on the ballot. Boston, like he's going to make that team. And LeBron James, is he just pulling everybody's leg? Is he just leading us on? Is he just teasing us? The greatest player in the NBA, the greatest basketball player on the planet. Is he teasing his fans and, and the Miami Heat? organization oh it's a whole lot to talk about coach the world cup is coming down to the end and hey we got a whole lot of sports going on but what's going on on your on your end coach where you at on on this on this lucky um fourth of july weekend that's over where are you now uh well we're in new jersey tonight we left uh, we left long island today about three o'clock took the ferry over and uh drove and just got here actually Wow, and for those of Beautiful. y'all that don't know, Beautiful. Coach, those of y'all that don't know, Coach is traveling all over the Northeast, and I say the Northeast, but he's been out West. He's traveling all over the United States, basically um, back and forth, one side to the other. And Coach, you, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago you were in Niagara Falls. Uh, I know you're coming up on Washington, D.C. in a few uh, few weeks or in, in the coming days. Next and, week. Next, Next week. week. Yeah. Wow, Next wow. I'll be there for two weeks. And, yeah. Daryl, the thing about it is, is one of the things you find out that's wonderful is that every area is excited about their athletes somewhere in America. And, of course, yeah. we had a great thing going on this past week when everybody across the country were cheering on our soccer players down at uh, the World's Cup, and it was exciting to see – uh, venues like Chicago and New York having great outdoor screens so that we could watch our players play. And uh, it was it was heartwarming, even if you weren't an avid soccer uh, fan, to see the fans of the United States stand behind their athletes. That's, that's what makes it cool. And, um, Coach, um, did you see the final match of the uh, Americans in the World Cup? cup yeah i saw part of it okay you know and um uh the the goalkeeper for the american team he had a record breaking like 16 saves and i i i I just wonder 
how much is this World Cup team, this American World Cup team, going to pique the interest of soccer in America? It's still, to me, just a sport where it's a lot of turnovers, man. I mean, a lot of turnovers. And we just can't grasp that thought that we're going to watch an event for 90 minutes, an hour and a half, and nobody's going to score. And every two minutes or every less than a minute, somebody's going to turn the ball over. It's just hard. For, I think it's hard for Americans to to really put their finger on this on the soccer thing. And um, and I'm not so sure if we're gonna ever get soccer because we get football so well. And I mean American football, not soccer. We get that sport like unbelievable. So it's it's hard for Americans to just you know we tie into this because it's almost like Christmas. During the Christmas holidays, whether you like it or not, you're going to put lights up. You're going to put a Christmas tree up. You're going to sing Merry Christmas. When the World Cup, when it comes around every four years or ten years, we're going to make a big deal about it. And to America, it's just, it's like just a season. It's just a little bit of our time. Well, football, we can't, we can't wait for spring football, fall football, off-season, the trade acquisition that's going to happen during the off-season. All of this stuff pique our interest, Coach, and I just don't see soccer doing that. Well, and the other thing, Daryl, that, uh, you know, when our women won the so World So easy. You know, it was, it was like I thought then that that was going to kind of spark a little more interest. And, and you know, we're, we're not young guys, and so maybe it will happen. But I think it's like you said earlier. Uh, you go in the uh, – the sport scores one, one run, or, or one point, or two points, and that's the total uh, amount that you're going to see at the whole the whole endeavor. So I'm not sure that, like you're saying, professional. I know professional soccer has struggled. Uh, they've tried to get some big names in, and uh, it just it just hasn't. Blown. And, and I, I, I agree with you, Daryl. Everywhere I've been in the last month, uh, some people have, have talked a little bit about soccer and the World's Cup and us being in it. But what everybody's telling me is they're so ready for football to start. And one of the things I want to talk about is the ruling uh, in college that Northwestern got uh, just uh, Thursday. Well, you know, um, Coach, for a long time, I've, I've been adamant about college football players being paid. And, and I've said this on our show before, and I'll say it again. Um, I'd put money on it right now that the University of Florida football team made more money than the Jacksonville Jaguars football team last year. And if you took two players – from the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, took um, um, Blaine Galbert and, um, and 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 the guy short, who's a wide receiver for the for the yeah. Jaguars, two not even very prominent players in the NFL. But if you took their two salaries alone, you'd be able to pay for every scholarship at the University of Florida for the entire season. Those two guys alone would pay for every football scholarship. On the, on the Gators team, all 85 or 90 scholarships on that Gators team, that, that 
their two salaries would pay for their scholarships for an entire season. Now, I'm going to tell you, Coach, it's, uh, it's a 53-man roster. What in the world are they doing? The rest of those 51, 51 guys are supposed to be getting paid over there at the University of Florida. Who's getting that money? You know, if only two guys going to pay for all of the scholarships, it's a whole lot of money floating around that the NCAA is collecting, that the university is collecting. And these players risk their life and risk their, risk their health every practice, every game, and they get a scholarship. And don't get me wrong. I, I'm very fortunate and very blessed that I had an opportunity to have a scholarship. And, I, and I'm one of them guys that can say, hey, I took advantage of it. I left there with the degree. So many guys don't leave with degrees, but they leave with a bunch of scars and a bunch of broken bones and a bunch of tendons that never heal up properly because we want them back on the field as quickly as we want these professional athletes that get paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars every week. And, Daryl, the thing about it is, is as I'm older than you, you know, back in the day, we didn't even call them scholarships. We called them grant and aids. And they did give us laundry money. They gave, uh, like at LSU, they gave $150 a month uh, laundry money. But uh, you were the practices were a lot brutaler then than they are now. And you had like 120 guys on scholarship or grant and aids. And you knew that everybody wasn't going to get to play and uh, everybody wasn't going to be compensated uh, during the course of their career uh, with uh, tickets. You know, they gave us tickets for home games. Uh, uh, there were a lot of rewards and, uh, and most of us were just tickled to death. And that's one of the reasons that the Southeastern Conference was uh, so far behind Yes, they played great football, but they were very far behind most of the country in graduation rates uh, for the athletes. And, and the NCAA supposedly tried to address that, and all it did was make it tougher on the kids, not on the universities, I think. Uh, you're exactly right, Coach, because uh, I remember when they came out, the NCAA came out while I was in college and said, after your sophomore year, you have to commit to a um you have to commit to a department like if you're going to be a department of in the, in the department of education you have to start studying after the second year you have to commit to that because it was guys that was taking basket weaving and pe and all kind of classes and you look up they'd be passing every year but what did they have towards graduation little no. to nothing you know no. what I mean? Yeah, and it, and it was a shame, and it was a racket, but this happened for a long time. But at the same time, when the NCAA came out with that rule, they also came out with a rule that, that guys could no longer give their tickets away or, or like, um, say, for instance, I would be if, – if I w went to Penn State, we went to Penn State, somebody from, somebody from Pennsylvania was going to get my tickets. But when we went to Tallahassee, I knew that I had about three or four guys that I was going to get all four of their tickets because I'd already gave them my Pennsylvania tickets, my, maybe my uh, Pitt tickets or the Syracuse. So I knew I was going to get that. And then when, hey, when it was time, and probably um, 
they sold those tickets up there in Penn State, and I sold mine down here in Florida when it was time when, when Florida played Miami. I, I used to that was a big part of how we made a little bit of money. And the NCA came out and said, "No, you can't do that. Now these tickets have to be signed for whoever you, whoever's name you leave there. That person yeah. has to sign a ticket and come in the game. They can't right. go outside the gate." Yeah, and so, the thing about it is, Daryl, what even becomes more, what even makes me more upset is a couple of years back, uh, LSU was in the uh, the basketball uh, final sixteen. And two of the players' families slept out in a car, okay? And the boys would go in to where they were having their training table on the road and got food and put it in a bag and took it downstairs to their family because their families couldn't afford to have driven up and gotten a room so they were sleeping in a car and they brought them food from the training table to eat. Now, that's just wrong, Daryl. That's just not right, because I know for a fact that any of those teams, it's just like the bowl teams. How much money does a college make off a bowl game? Uh, millions. And so if the players aren't compensated or their parents aren't allowed to come free or get some kind of a – uh, reimbursement, then that's just not fair. That's just, you know, what what the Players Association, the, the new College Players Association stated in their uh, briefing that they sent to the Labor Board was that they wanted a, uh, a, a opinion from them to say, first off, are we working? That's what the Labor Board says. Yes, they were working. Are they being compensated for? No. You could say that the scholarship is compensation, but it's not, in fact, the kind of compensation that could be broken down uh, to an hourly wage that would be fair. So how many hours do you put in as a, a, an athlete, regardless of your sport? So it's going to be interesting the next, oh, I'd say, the next five or six years to see where this goes. I think, Daryl. I think it's going to be very interesting for the next five or six years. But in the meantime, these colleges and universities, coach, they're going to still be making millions and millions. And the NCAA has their racket going, where they're collecting millions and millions for actually literally doing nothing. You know, they actually they have a semi-pro league here that makes, in a lot of cases, more money than the professional leagues. I can guarantee you, Coach Tennessee, the University of Tennessee, the volunteers make more money than the, than the, than the Titans. There's no question about that. And, Darren, we're not even talking about, and you're talking about just, I think you're just talking about the game itself, but the products that are sold in lieu of, you know, uh, say like Tennessee, you buy a hat, you buy a sweatshirt, you buy, you know, why are you doing that? You're doing that not because just your child is going there uh, to school. You're doing it because you have a football team or a basketball team or a baseball team that uh, you're trying to support. And so the school's getting their cut, but the kids aren't. 
Oh, yeah, the school's definitely getting their cut. And, you know, and when we start talking about paraphernalia, that's that's on a whole nother scope, you know, because you if in the state of Tennessee, there is no question you will see more paraphernalia from the University of Tennessee far, far more than you'll see from the um, Tennessee Titans coach. And that has to go triple for the Florida Gators compared to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And these two teams are less than 100 miles apart, you know, out less than 50 miles apart. And uh, and trust me, you're going to find 10 times more Florida Gator hats and paraphernalia than you're going to find the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is a Jacksonville, Florida team. Um, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. So, and Darren, you were talking about it the other day uh, when you were when you y'all started that incredible run down at Miami and started winning all those national championships. The Dolphins, even though they had been world champions, they did not, in fact, get nearly the attention that y'all did. The U just got a total great amount of uh, people uh, that supported. I can remember also baseball at the University of Miami was so big. And so it wasn't all just football, and that's what the, the whole point is. I think that those athletes need to be compensated, whether it's football or basketball or baseball, for uh the amount of compensation that the school is bringing in. I, I, w- I would have to agree with you, Coach. Um, you know, a couple years ago, a couple of guys at Ohio State um, lost their scholarship. The coach ended up losing his job behind some guys um, giving away some things that they received from a bowl game for tattoos. And, and in some cases, I think they gave it away for money. They didn't give it away. They sold their 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 bowl paraphernalia for money. Now, if you've earned a jersey or you've earned a hat or you've earned a, a pair of tennis shoes from a bowl gift bag, I think that stuff is yours. And I think it's up to you to do whatever you want to do with that stuff. And if you can make two thousand dollars off of a off of a bowl ring or a bowl watch that you think that it's not that valuable to you, but you can use the two thousand dollars because the light bill at home needs to be paid or your your mother just lost her job and and the car is about to be repossessed. And if you sold your ring, your national championship ring or your conference championship ring, you might be able to send money home tomorrow. But in the meantime, you lose your scholarship and an opportunity to make a living for the rest of your life because you sold a hat or a jersey. Hey, guys, we're going to be right back with more Sports Info UM on the Voice America Radio. We'll be back with Coach and Daryl. Peace. We'll be right back. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 
at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network. And let's talk football. Get ready to talk sports with the big guys. Tune in to Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis every Tuesday for the inside and outside of the business of sports. Keith and his guests will provide expert commentary and answer all of your burning questions about your favorite team, the players, and what's next. It's time to have fun with the game. Listen for Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis and his favorite co-hosts every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The talk doesn't get any hotter. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you're tuned in to sports info um with daryl and sam call us today at 888-346-9144 that's 888-346-9144 or send us an email at sports info um 3793 at gmail.com now, back to the show. And welcome back to Sports Info UM. And Coach, let's get this straight now. You, you, you're definitely in favor of these guys getting paid. Oh, yeah, Daryl. Now, I'm not sure exactly how it should be done, but I think it should be done. I think that it's something that, that, that the time has come that uh, the revenue that these kids are generating uh, should be Something they can com- you know, get compensation for. And now, um, how do you feel about some smaller programs, like say, um, say FAMU University? How do you, how do you feel about that? You know, because you know, I, I, FAMU and uh, Bethune Cookman, they're smaller programs, but they play the University of Miami every year, and it's in Miami, and it's always a big game, and, and it's a big payday. For, for both these programs, this is probably the biggest payday they're going to have for the entire season. Now, should the, how should theirs be broken down? The thing about it is, Daryl, you know and I know, the reason the small schools play the Florida States, the Miamis, the Floridas, is because they make a big, they get a big part of that check for that game. And so somebody plays, I remember back, uh, I had a, a young player, that uh, went to uh, 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 Central Michigan, and they played Michigan uh, in a game. And, uh, of course, it wasn't very pretty, but (laughs) the kids, you know, understood from their athletic director and head football coach that uh, they were going to make about a half a million dollars for the program, and not that the kids got any of it, but that helped uh, the budget for that school. Hey, hey, Coach, we got Chris on the line, and um, Chris is not long out of, out of college, played at University of South, um, University of South Florida. 
Chris, what's your perspective on this? When do you think these college guys should be be getting paid? And um, what's going on? I don't know if it should be more so paid or or an allowance, some kind of like just spending card or gas card or something like that. Because that's where I spent most of my uh, free money was on um, just just gas cards and things like that, just paying for gas. Uh huh. So maybe a little stipend per semester would be nice. But a lot of guys get Pell grants, so they don't really need it. But uh, mm-hmm. the guys like me that didn't qualify for the Pell Grant, we just just a little something, a little extra incentive for us would have been nice. But now, Chris, I know you went to how many bowls at South Florida? Five. We went to five bowls. And so how much money did South Florida make going to those five bowls? Um, during the Sun Bowl was our biggest bowl when we finished second in the conference, and that was – um. It was uh, it was a pretty penny. Um, it was a pretty penny for going to that one. Um, okay, so let's say let's just for sake of argument say two million dollars. Yeah, it was around there. It really was. Okay, and so and you could only carry. I guess you only took. They probably only took. Uh, let's say you took besides uh, besides just the guys that dressed out. Let's say you took a hundred players, coaches. So we took the whole team. We took a hundred and fifteen, hundred and thirteen. Okay, well, any, anyway, that would be like ten grand for each one, right? Yes. And now, how much would that have impacted the next year for the player, not the school, for the player? If someone had said to you, hey, Chris Robinson, your role in the, in the bowl earned you $10,000, how much difference would that have made for you what year was the Sun Bowl? What year were you in there? Uh, on my red shirt sophomore, so 08, 2008. Okay, and so what we're talking about is your sophomore year or your junior year would have been much nicer if you'd have had that in the bank. You could yes, have upgraded. You wouldn't have had to worry about a gas core, Chris. Yes, sir. You are correct with that. <laughs> that would have been nice. But um, it, it's more so well, the, I look at it like – um. Uh, I got out of college with um, zero debt. I didn't. I didn't owe any money toward the University of South Florida, um, and I and I think that was that was a blessing to me. I know a lot of people are paying off two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars school loans, and I got out. I graduated scot free. So that that's where I look at the money coming in at that we accumulated over those four or five years. I, I would agree with like that, that too. That was enough compensation. You just getting out of college debt free. Debt free for for me that that was okay, um, cause uh, like I said that I, I didn't think I was going to college, so to be able to not have my parents pay for it that was really um, a blessing for me. I, I just uh, I just took that and ran with it. Hey Chris, yes, sometimes sir. I thought you weren't going to college too. Being serious oh, okay. again. That is, that is, that's a fair statement. That is definitely a fair statement. Be, being serious again, what about this? Okay, so the guy that goes there and gets injured, mm-hmm. okay, and if, you know, I know there's some schools that do honor your scholarship. I know some that don't. Mm-hmm. And so now – you're going into debt if you want to stay in school, right? Um, that is true, but our school honored them. Our, our school did honor the injuries and things like that, 
And um, so that's that's the one thing I, I don't I can't speak on anything other than that. But what they advised us to do is, if you were a guy that was planning on getting drafted or had a good chance of getting that drafted, was they would help you take out of a a liability loan on yourself. And um, some of them, like JPP, when he came to us, that's on the Giants now, he took out one that was about five and a half million dollars if he did get hurt during his junior year, and then it went up to ten million if he got hurt during his senior year. So they did help us in that aspect of it. So I mean, but now, Chris, did they, they get? Did they did they pay for the, the uh, insurance policy? No. What happens is the payments were deferred until after that season. So say JPP didn't he just, he did he did get hurt his junior year. Then that's when the payments would have kicked in when he would have to start paying, but he would have been getting money back. It's kind of like they worked it out through our school, through um, South Florida. It was like through our actual student loan process. So um, say JPP did get hurt his junior year. He would have been getting money, that $5.5 million, he would have been getting that, but he, had to, he would have had to make certain payments for that year that he deferred. So he still would have made out with over $4 million, basically. Okay, Chris, but now how many guys paid for that? that didn't need it or didn't get drafted or didn't make it. We had two. <laughs> we had two. And um and uh some kind of way they the the school kinda chipped in a little bit, but um they didn't have they didn't pay on it for long. Then they may have had like a year of payments of um maybe four or five hundred bucks a month. Um and then they got it waived or something like that. It was it was it was it was just a way to, to keep the, the top players healthy and, and, and comfortable with coming back to play for another season. And I think that's a wise thing to do, too, though. But, Chris, let me ask you a question. In, in, in the five bowl games that you did go to, which bowl game gave you guys the best gifts and the most money for coming to that bowl game? Um, The most money would be the Sun Bowl. We got about the travel money goes from your school – from your house to the school, so travel money would be maybe like 150, 200 bucks. But then the bowl itself, I think we got about 350, 400 bucks cash, spending cash, and miscellaneous cash. But in Meineke Car Care Bowl, they gave us DVD players. They gave us um, well portable DVD players. They gave us um, some really, really nice watches, and that one the gifts were more. But um, I think they all totaled maybe around 450, 500 bucks. Not including travel money. Right. But now, Chris, my one of my first one of my first uh, people that I ever uh, uh, coached you know, went big time to uh, uh, FSU, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget his name was uh, 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 Ron uh, Brown, LeBron Brown, and he went to the Blockbuster, the first Blockbuster Bowl that FSU went, and I forgot who they played. And so they gave them an option. They could get a ring or they could get $200. Well, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and we're talking about the late 80s. Mm-hmm. So, but what are you going to do as a kid? That $200 right before Christmas where you can oh. buy presents, or are you going to – well, I'll, I'll, I'll not worry about the ring. Or I'll buy it later, and you know it never happens. Yeah, you're so right. that's the kind of thing that bothers me. Yeah, you're you're right, Coach. And um, hey, um, Chris. Yes. Um, before we let you go, what's your comment on the LeBron James situation? 
um, LeBron's going to Cleveland, Chris Bosh is going to Houston, and then Dwayne Wade's going to be trying to get uh, Luau Dean to come play with him. That's what I think. That are my, that's wow. my projections. Wow. Well, Chris. Hey, Daryl, we, yes. uh, we need to get uh, Chris signed up. I agree. And, Chris, you really think that LeBron James feels guilty about leaving his hometown, or is it his old lady wants him to come back home, go back home? I, I really think it's about his kids. I really think he wants to raise his kids up in, oh, in the okay. Cleveland Akron. I think it's the fam- more of a family for him right. to be back there. Okay. All right. Hey, Will well, they Chris, ever forgive him, Chris? Yes, sir. And, Chris, my thing about LeBron James, before I let you go, is that Whoever he plays for in the East right now, they're as good as the Miami Heat was this year. If he went to Washington right now, they're as good as the Heat. If he went to Cleveland right now, they're as good as the Heat. And yeah. So it, it doesn't matter. Whoever he goes to, he's going to be he's going to be the best team in the East. And you can best believe he's going to stay in the East because he don't want to take a chance going out west. Exactly, <laughs> I can I can agree with that. Yep, he don't want to take a chance. Hey, well, Chris, we got to run, man. We got Roland from the NASCAR. He's going to give us our NASCAR report for this week. Yes, sir. Yep. Hey, Roland, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? Just still drying out down here. <laughs> hey, man. Oh, man. Roland, Roland. What's going on? You know, um, Roland, I was looking at the race yesterday, and I really found a new respect for that Danica. I, I really found a new respect for her yesterday. I, I was looking at her riding up front and pushing it hard. You know, I'm rolling 197 miles per hour on the Daytona International Speedway track. And I was watching her and I'm like, man, when is she going to let it go? Because, you know, she really doesn't hold it up there that long. But she held her own for a very long time. My hat goes off to her. I found a new respect for her. I will not complain about her racing ever again. It's done. Well, with that being said, of course she wasn't going fast enough to be anywhere near the wrecks. And since 38 cars were in the wrecks, including her twice, she was one of those people that survived. (laughs) But before the wreck, she was up there in eighth place. And then they had a pit stop. Everybody came back on. She might have lost some of her, lost a little bit of room. She might have came back around 14th spot. But, but Roland, I think she was, she was, she held her own yesterday. I give her credit. Well, uh, many drivers held their own. And of course, it was, it was historic in its own way to have Eric Almarola in a rain shortened race by 120 miles to win his very first race and to have it at Daytona. And, of course, in the iconic Richard Petty Racing number 43 car. And it had been 30 years since Richard took his car to Victory Lane. I was there. I was standing right behind his pits when he did this in 1984. And he brought the STP uh, Pontiac to Victory Lane, and that was his 200th win. And that's why President Ronald Reagan was up in the tower, and that was a really, really memorable moment from that point. And to have his car once again find Victory Lane 30 years later was pretty amazing in itself. And for it to be the King's last win and for it to be uh, Eric Almarola's first win, this is a boy that comes from Tampa, Florida, and uh, he considers it his home track. 
So there's a lot of ironies that were involved. The big controversy is, though, is whether they should have called the race or whether they should have hung around for probably another five to six hours and run the race at midnight. I say they ended it when they should have because with the delay from the day before, it cost a lot of money with people with uh, reservations and hotel stays and everything else, and for it to be delayed even later into the day on Saturday, there was really no way to get that race going again to uh, to really be effective. Now, I know this affected Brian Vickers, and I'm sure that you were rooting for it to end in the rain because Brian Vickers, number 55, Michael Waltrip, Toyota, had on the hood the 2013 BCS Championship Florida State Seminoles. (laughs) (laughs) I was was really pulling for Brian Brian Vickers. um, I was really pulling for him. You were rolling for an FSU car. Are we recording this? Hello? (laughs) (laughs) Rolling. Do the fans like the new seating? There's only some new seating. If you go to the east and to the immediate west, that's where the new seating is, and the people that did sit in the new seats really like them. They're much wider, much better. I was actually in one of the most expensive seats there, and it was still that whole metal skinny seat. But, of course, at Daytona, nobody pays for a seat. You pay for that little area in front of the seat that you stand up in. Yeah, exactly. Hey, now, Roland, um... This kid, uh, uh, Eric Amarello. Yes. Uh, now he is a um, uh, a product of a um, program that NASCAR has, where they're trying to get minorities involved in the sport. Is this correct? He came up through the diversity program. Yes. Yes. He came up through that. Uh, you know, he uh, his starting position was fifteenth in that Ford, the Petty Ford. And he did a really, really good job. And as a matter of fact, it really affects Petty Racing and affects uh, Eric because now he seemingly may be qualified to run in the chase. Even though he's 21st overall in points with the win, he can get in. He's the 11th different winner this year. That's called I, diversity. I, I, I would agree with that. Hey, Roland, I need, uh, could you hold through the break for us? Absolutely. All right, guys, we'll be right back with more sports info. You and in this little, this, this, this NASCAR racing sounds a little WWF-ish to me, a little bit rolling. We'll be right back. You guys. know what? I went yesterday. I went to a demolition derby, and a race broke out. <laughs> Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. 
Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Sports Info UM with Daryl and Sam. Call us today at 888 346 9144. That's 888-346-9144. Or send us an email at sportsinfoun3793 at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to Sports Info You. And we got Roland V on the line, our NASCAR expert, our expert, our racing expert from Daytona Beach, Florida. Roland, what's going on, man? We saw yesterday that the race was shortened by rain. A lot of people thought, including myself, that it was only 3 o'clock. We got lights on the track. We just said we have, we've had lights on this track now for about five or six years. We could have easily finished this race, man. I wanted to see the race being finished on the track, not under caution of rain. I didn't like that at all. Well, through the years, NASCAR has had rain shortened races. As a matter of fact, back in 19, I believe it was 88, there was a rain shortened race, uh, at, uh, for the 400. And then, of course, in 1998, we had the wildfires, and the race was postponed until October. So it's very rare to have the 400 put off into a different time. You have to remember that part of what they're trying to do also is have the TV coverage. If they don't have the TV coverage and they have satisfied their commercial part of it, that's just part of the game. I will tell you from being there that it would have been very, very difficult. It would have been later in the night before they actually got that track dry, and there still was rain on the backside that was uh, uh, with a possibility of coming. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a rough decision to stop a race early, but I think it was a necessary call. You had the field decimated. 38 cars out of the 43 were in some kind of fisticuffs at one time or another during a race. Notables that finished was uh, Jeff Gordon in 12th place. Junior finished in 14th. Um, you had uh, Kansas, Matt, Matt Kansas, you know, one of your favorites, that finished yes. back in 20th place. Yep. Jimmy Johnson, you know, the six-time winner, was uh, taken out early. He finished in 42nd. Right ahead of him was uh, Tony Stewart in 40th place and Kevin Harvick in 39th. So it was a rough night for a lot of different drivers. Uh, the TV ratings just fell out whenever the favorites fell out. And some of that drives the interest in what's going on. I think it was time for them to regroup. The, the race next week is in New Hampshire, and I think that they'll, that'll be a good race. There'll be a lot of people anxious to run. Now, overall, in the NASCAR Sprint Cup point standings, Hendrick Motorsports' Jeff Gordon has one win, but he's first in points at 651 points with two wins. In second place is Dale Earnhardt Jr. And then in third place, Jimmy Johnson with three wins. He's in third place. So you've got Hendrick Motorsports one, two, three, and they're locked into the chase. 
Brad Keselowski with a recent win from last week when he looked so good at Kentucky. Uh, he's in fourth place. Matt Kenseth, even though he has no wins, he still is in fifth place overall with points, but he is still looking for that first win. I thought he had a chance at Daytona. I really did. Joey Logano's in sixth. Carl Edwards in seventh. Ryan Newman in eighth. Kyle Busch is ninth. And Paul Menard in tenth place. Remember that there'll be 16 cars that'll be going into those final races. And race by race, they're going to break down the winners. You, you move on kind of like bracketing. They'll move on. And we'll explain that in a future show exactly how that's going to happen. Kyle Busch in ninth. Paul Menard in tenth. Kevin Harvick in eleventh. Clint Boyer in twelfth. Austin Dillon out there for running for the rookie of the year. He's in 13th place in the Richard Childress Racing former Dale Earnhardt senior car with number three. Denny Hamlin, 14. Greg Biffle, 15. And Brian Vickers was 16. I was kind of pulling for Greg Biffle in that number 16 Ford, the Roush Fenway Racing Ford, to actually win. He always runs good in the July race. He always has one of those as a win already. So, uh, the other rookie that uh, keep an eye out for is the number 42 car, the Target, Chip Ganassi Racing with Felix Sabata's uh, automobile. That's a very, very special car there. Now, some of the biggest news coming out of Daytona is that all of the owners have formed what they call a race alliance, okay? The top team owners have have a race team alliance, and what they're trying to do is uh, the goals of the RTA include lowering costs for NASCAR teams and creating one voice on issues facing the team, but they're insisting that it's not a union because there was past history back in the uh, mid-60s whenever you had, um, um, I'm think of, got to think of his name, great racer, they tried to get together and form a union, but uh, that didn't quite work out. And it's keeping him out of the... Uh, Hall of Fame, and his name goes beyond me. But anyway, this is huge news in the racing world, the Race Team Alliance, because it includes Chip Ganassi Racing with Felix Sabatis, Hendrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, Michael Walter Racing, Richard Childress Racing, Richard Petty Motorsports, Roush Family Racing, Stuart Haas Racing, and Team Penske. And they said one of the top goals is to try to bring in the independent teams and make them equal to and give them a little bit extra push to be able to be, you know, balanced in the standings. This is huge news because this is huge. they're going to get together and make suggestions to NASCAR and for NASCAR. I, I don't think this is going to work, work, Roland, simply because I don't think NASCAR is going to relinquish any of the safeties, the, the safety um, regime they put down. And when we start talking about um, people coming in, trying to make do with less money. They're going to make their cars run faster than, than, than the cars on the track, but are they going to be putting um, um, nitro gel around the gasket of the, of the carburetor like we've seen in the past? You know, I don't think NASCAR is <laughs> going to go for this kind of stuff, Roland. No, and that's we'll, assuming that the RTA has more clout than that. Basically what they're looking at is the financial aspect of it. You know, next year the TV package is $8.2 billion dollars that's big money that's coming out, and they want to make sure that their side of things, that they can afford to go racing and uh, that they always are bringing fresh talent to the sport. There's a lot with it. But here's where the push-pull comes from. I'm anxious to see you've got one group, that's NASCAR, that owns all the tracks where they race, and then you've got all of the marquee drivers in this other group. Who wins? 
Right. And, 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 you know, this is what I, when I start talking about this NASCAR from time to time, they, they show their WWF face, you know, the year after Earnhardt dies, his son wins um, Daytona. And here it is, um, you know, 30 years of, of, um, of um, Richard Petty not winning his car wins and who wins a diverse racer. And what, what does NASCAR need more than anything? Diversity. And one more question before I let you go, Roland. We see the big stadium coming in Daytona, and we see a lot of stadiums around now. And we even see it in Daytona where they take away the super stretch in the back where fans can't even sit back there anymore. And we're building a bigger stadium. And the reason we took down the super stretch is because we didn't have people sitting back there, Roland. What's going on with that? Are we going to be able to seat these people? By the way, the driver that was banned from NASCAR was Curtis Turner from going back. He's probably Hall of Fame eligible, but he He didn't get in just like Smokey Yunick because of their anti-NASCAR stances. Let me tell you about the new Daytona Rising Project, $400 million aimed and geared around fan participation, not only in motorsports, we could see football, soccer, we could see entertainment such as concerts and other things going on there. What happened was, is back during the heyday in the early aughts, back from, you know, uh, like 1998 up through about 2006, NASCAR just grew by leaps and bounds. The television had taken over, people were going to the tracks. Then, with the recession, people started pulling back. They actually have, at Daytona International Speedway, 174,000 available seats. As you said, they're taking out the back stretch, and what they're going to do is they're going to have only 101,000 seats, but they're going to have all these four different concourse levels that have a total fan experience. When you go in there, huge TVs, uh, your merchandise, your food, your bathrooms, it's going to be an absolutely exquisite fan experience it's going to be a sports stadium like no other on face of the earth. That's for sure. Roland, one question before you go. After all of this building and reconstruction in Daytona, am I still going to be able to bring my fold-up cooler and my plastic bottles inside? That is what has been told to us by Joey Chitwood III, who is the president of Daytona National Speedway. They want to better the fan experience. My question was, since they are reducing the number of the seating, they're creating supply and demand, will the ticket prices be up? And they're anticipating that they will not in the beginning, but you know what that means, that maybe in the future it will. (laughs) Now, that entertainment complex is going to be in conjunction with across the street, something that's called Daytona One and the old GE uh, lot over there. All together, probably from... I-95 up through the speedway, you're going to see about $1.2 billion in development going on, and it's really going to put Daytona Beach on the entertainment map and give a reason for people to come to uh, Daytona Beach. Wow. I like what I'm hearing. I like what I see down there, all the construction going on at the stadium. I really do. Hey, Coach, um, anyway, uh, no, Roland, one more thing before we go. Are we going to have the Hard Rock Casino? Is this going to be a part of this Daytona um, project? It will not. That'll be a beachside um, venue over there. There's also the Russian proto, uh, proto group that's getting together for another huge hotel. Plus, the, the, the uh, old Desert Inn is being redone into what they call the Westin, which will be a five-star hotel. So there is a renaissance going on in Daytona Beach for sure. I know you got some more sports to get to. All right, Roland, we'll thanks a lot. Thing again. 
We appreciate it, man. Really, we really do. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks a lot, Roland. You got to take care. Happy racing. All right. Hey, Darren, we got Darren on the line, Matt. Daniel? Yes, Daniel, Hello. still there? Daniel, sorry about that. What's going on, Daniel? What's on your mind? What's going on? How's it going? It's going good. If yeah, not, that's that's uh, race information. We were talking to Chris Robinson, a guy who played in South Florida about players and should they have been compensated. I know you were a college player. What do you think? Oh, getting paid? Uh, they get lots of money, you know, and endorsements from people coming in. And I think they should get something out of it, some compensation, because it's hard to work as an athlete. It is. It's and amazing. pay for things, you know. And that's what that was my, that was my problem. Uh, I was working full time and you know playing full time and taking full courses and it just it wasn't enough time for your studies. I think they should be compensated. I, I would have to agree, especially when you look at every team in the country is getting paid by Nike or Adidas or Puma or some shoe company. All of these teams have have at least a shoe company contract. Oh, yeah. Millions of revenue. Yeah. And don't let a kid go out there and say, oh, these Nikes are uncomfortable. I want to wear Converse today. It'd be a someone would pitch a fit because a kid <laughs> wants to wear a different shoe. And, and that's oh, yeah. because Nike's going to call and complain about it. Oh, Daryl. Yes, Coach. We need, get, we need to get Daniel's take on, uh, uh, Daniel, where's LeBron going? LeBron. I think LeBron's being a baby. <laughs> uh, I think he's just going to go for the money. Whoever offers him the most. Um, go back to Cleveland. I don't think he really liked it there. That's why he came to Miami. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with him. Hey, I don't think a lot of people know what's going on with him, and I don't think he really cares. You know, he knows that wherever he goes, they're going to offer him the maximum amount of money, whether it be Cleveland, Miami, Houston, wherever he goes, somebody's going to offer him the maximum amount of money, and, and, and I can't blame him for taking the maximum amount of money. He's the best player in the country, best player yeah, in the world. Yeah, I can't blame him for being a star, you know. He is definitely yeah. the best player. Yep, he definitely is. Yep. And uh, and, and, and um, what, do you, what do you think about um, this NFL season coming up and the Johnny football? You, you know, this Johnny Manziel, the high oh, trophy winner. You know, every time you look up, he's, in the, he's taking pictures with some more stars. Do you blame him for for – being flamboyant, do you think it's it's a bad thing or it's going to get him in trouble? I think he needs to get his head right. He can't be partying every day and getting all drunk and letting that get in the way of your training. You know, he's a scrambling quarterback as it is. He needs to stay on his game. He's not going to be able to scramble as much like he did at A&M. In the big league, everybody's way faster. I would, I would have he to. He needs agree to train three times as hard. I, w I would agree with you. So you're saying you think he is partying a bit too much? You think he is oh, balling yeah. a little too hard? I think it's going to show. I think you're right, and I, and I and it doesn't take much for that kind of stuff to show. Hey Daniel, hey Coach, 
We got one more minute left. Daniel, give us your last thoughts. And coach, you got the you got the last floor. You got the floor for the last minute. Go ahead, Daniel. What's going on? Give a shout out to somebody. Uh, give a shout out to my man, my father-in-law, Coach Roberts over here. Out there, uh, riding around in this big old uh, camper, spending every day in a different site, man, just enjoying life. Hey, I appreciate it. Daryl, we had another great show. Daniel, thanks for calling. Roland made it special for the racing fans. And I think we, we understand a little bit more about what's happening with the NCAA. I think we do, Coach. And um, it's always good. It's always a good week when I have a chance to hang out with you, Coach, on the Sports Info UM show. Hey, guys, thank you for listening. And we'll be back, we'll be back next week with more Sports Info UM on the Voice America Radio. Thanks again for listening. Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword will be back again next Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel for more Sports Info UM. We'll see you then.